Well, we will only be considering the first half of this chapter this morning, and there's a lot to consider as I ask you to open up to Revelation chapter 13. This time a week ago, I was with my family and worshiping for the first time with my sister, uh, who was recently born again, and they met at 11, you met at 9, we were worshiping at the same time, and very emotional service for me to stand between both of my sisters, and for the first time in decades, there we stood as a family and worshiped the Lord together. So what a, what a joyful time. It was good to be away, it's good to be back, and great to be back with you folks this morning. The Bible calls us to believe in spiritual realities. We have no problem believing in physical realities. We see the trees, we see mountains, we see one another. In Ephesians 6.12, the Apostle Paul refers to this as wrestling against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in all the heavenly places. He says what you're really wrestling against is not flesh and blood. Your real war is not against what you can see. So the Bible invites you, exhorts you, almost demands that you believe in spiritual realities, things that you cannot see with your physical eyes. Two weeks ago, we saw an accurate profile of Satan in Revelation 12. He is the dragon. He's cruel, vicious, bloodthirsty. He's that ancient serpent. He's crooked and deceitful. He's the same one that appeared in the Garden of Eden and incited Eve to question the goodness and the sovereignty of God. He's called the devil. That means slanderer or defamer. He's called Satan, which means adversary or evil opponent. He is called the deceiver of the whole world. He is a master at disguises, deceptions, diversions, and distractions. And he is the accuser of our brothers. This is that forensic aspect where in a courtroom he brings real charges against real guilty people. Those are all the descriptions that are used in Revelation 12 to give you an accurate profile of who Satan is. And so the Bible, even in Revelation, is telling you there are spiritual realities that you must believe in in order to understand what's happening and what is about to happen. Unfortunately, the church has become like Balaam, who was blinded by greed and lust. That is until, as Numbers 22.31 says, the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn. We are very much like Elijah's servant who saw the physical danger in front of them, as 2 Kings 6.15 records when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out behold an army with horses and chariots was all around the city and the servant said he said this to Elisha alas my master what shall we do Elisha said do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them then Elisha prayed and said O Lord please here's the same phrase open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In both cases, it mentions the opening of our eyes. The New Testament says we walk by faith, not by sight, but by the eyes of faith. 
That's why Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 includes this phrase, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Did you know your heart has eyes? And they're supposed to see things that your physical eyes cannot see. And the danger of this is what Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Earlier this week, I had to read a textbook for a class that I'm taking. It's David Platt's book, Counterculture. And he says, quote, I never could have comprehended that 27 million people live in slavery today. More than at any other time in history. I never could have fathomed that many of these millions are being bought, sold and exploited for sex in what has become one of the fastest growing industries on earth. This weekend, some of us attended a conference that addressed this, but it wasn't just to bring awareness. It was an awareness to the point of taking action. I believe Denver is top three, the top three American city for sex trafficking. And we are the light of the world. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. And hopefully we'll address this more as the year progresses and how we can become more effectively involved. But for now, let's at least be clear in the context of Revelation 13, there is a wicked spiritual force behind this industry. And something that you cannot see with your eyes. Yesterday, one of my children asked what would even cause parents to treat their children the way David and Louise Turpin mistreated their 13 children. And I reminded her of the very real, though invisible, satanic personality and power that exists in the world. They're responsible. But there is something energizing that. There is something distorting that perception. And we need to remember this, because this is what Revelation 12 told us. Satan is not invincible. For, as verse 11 says, they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. But then chapter 12 ends in verse 17 with this. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those, I mean, this is his focus, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he, the dragon, stood on the sand of the sea. If you do not understand the enemy in this battle, you are already destroyed. As we move into chapter 13, we are shown how the dragon makes war. He initially tries to deceive the whole world through the beast. Then he blasphemes God's name and those who dwell in heaven. Then he attacks those who are not persuaded by his deception. Those are called saints. And he makes war on the saints. As a matter of fact, he's allowed to do this. And not only does he make war, he conquers them. Okay? Let's look at the first section of Revelation chapter 13. It was already read for us. Here's what Daniel sees. In his vision, a beast coming up out of the sea. The prophet Daniel also saw a beast rise from the sea in his vision in Daniel chapter 7. Listen to what he records. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And in Daniel's vision, this is what he sees. 
four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. And many of you are familiar with that. The first one resembled a lion. And then you have this bear with these interesting characteristics. And then you have a leopard. But then the fourth couldn't even be compared to a ravenous, bloodthirsty beast. The fourth was totally different. There wasn't even a beast in the forest to compare to it. The beast that John sees arises from the sea, has ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns. Does that sound familiar? Did we already, two weeks ago, something else that had seven heads, ten horns, who? The dragon. Now there's a beast different than the dragon that arises out of the sea and it looks a lot like who? The dragon. Got to mark that. Don't just read over that and be like, man, all these details. No, the details are here to give you clues to what's happening. The dragon in chapter 12, verse 3, also had seven heads and ten horns and he's on his head seven diadems, just like the beast. It seems that the dragon, Satan, is summoning forth from the great deep a beast, now listen to this, in his own image. And he wants people to worship that image. It's interesting, Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of who? Of the invisible God. And it seems there is a beast, this ruler or this kingdom that arises and it is the visible expression of the invisible dragon. He's actually going to take on flesh and you're going to see in person the image of Satan. You know what he's doing? He's offering one of the greatest deceptions of all time. I quoted Grant Osborne two weeks ago. It's helpful to hear the quote again. He says, everything Satan does is merely a parody or imitation of what God has already done. His diadem's crowns are a copy of Christ's crowns. The beast's moral wound that is healed imitates Christ's resurrection. The great and miraculous signs of the second beast imitate the signs, miracles of John's gospel. And the mark of the beast parodies the sealing of the saints. It's unmistakable to see these contrasted right next to one another. The blasphemous names on its head are probably claims that the beast is making to be the true Christ, the true deliverer, the true rescuer. Here I am. I'm here to save you. Remember Jesus' words in Mark chapter 13? If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Here's the Messiah. Or look, there he is. Jesus says, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. That's exactly what we're seeing in Revelation chapter 13. And by the way, don't expect the beast to be some offensive, disgusting creature. It's going to be so beautiful and so promising that it almost deceives true believers. 
It's not going to be like you're going to be able to identify and go, oh, yuck, that is so dark and evil. Remember what Paul warns us? He's talking about the prophets of Satan appearing as as angels of light. And he says, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Disguises deceptions, diversions, and distractions. John describes the beast he saw in terms a lot like Daniel's description. Look at chapter 2, or chapter 13, verse 2. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Again, these similar descriptions that Daniel is seeing as they're trying to describe what they are trying, what they're trying to explain in their vision. Daniel said this of the fourth beast with ten horns in Daniel chapter 7, verse 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth that devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. This is why in... Sometimes in seminaries, they offer a class that couples together a study of Daniel and Revelation together because of the, the similar themes and the crossover of the text. The angel in Daniel interprets the beasts. In verse 17, Daniel chapter 7, he says, These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. So now you have the beast that rises out of the sea. These arise out of the earth. The ten horns of the beast are also interpreted in Daniel chapter 7, verses 24 to 25. The angel says, as for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise. And another shall arise after them. He, this particular king, shall be different from the former ones. And he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High. We're going to see blasphemous words in Revelation 13. Listen to what else the angel says in Daniel. And he shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Well, that sounds a lot like Revelation chapter 12 and 13. James M. Hamilton Jr. writes this. In Revelation 17, the beast's seven heads and ten horns will be interpreted as seven kings and ten kings. John's beast in 13.2 combines elements of Daniel's first three beasts, and at the same time, John's beast seems to be Daniel's fourth beast. Are you, are you tracking still? In both Daniel and in Revelation, the beast symbolize kings. So Revelation 13 seems to be depicting Satan pursuing his war against the woman and her seed by bringing onto the stage of history this beast, listen, who combines in himself all the wickedness of the evil empires of human history. So the beast seems to symbolize an end-time government that will initiate a vicious, unmerciful attack on God's people. Remember the dragon wanted to pursue the woman. Remember he tried to devour the child. He didn't, so he makes war upon her seed. 
This, chapter 13, explains how he does that. Listen to what Jesus said again in Mark chapter 13. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Jesus, looking forward to a distant time, says there's going to be a time of tribulation that is one of a kind. Jesus goes on to say, and if the Lord had not cut short the days. Now it's interesting that this one ruler wants to change the calendar and the days, but he can't because God's hemmed him in with time. And if, the, and if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. So, Revelation 13.3, go ahead and look at that verse. Because a great deception includes a mimicking of Christ's death and resurrection. It, Revelation 13.3 reads this. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. But its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now just stop and think how the world responds to you explaining to them today about Jesus' resurrection. They consider it ludicrous. For the most part, they think it's folly. But when they see it happen in their day... They're enamored. Wow. And then they start singing like a praise. Who is like the beast? Satan's beast reflects his character. Now, again, Christ's words in Mark 13. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders. For instance, a mortal wound, but he rises from the dead. And Jesus says he will do this to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Satan's beast reflects his character. Do you want a glimpse of that, of what that looks like today? Do you want to know what the beast's character is that resembles the dragon's character? Violent gangs murdering 12-year-olds. That's what Satan offers. Human trafficking and the porn industry. Most of what spawns out of Hollywood and Bollywood and is projected on a big screen. School shootings. Domestic abuse. Years of predatory behavior on young gymnasts by a man who appeared as a loving physician of light. That's what Satan offers. And spiritualized see the reality of it. There is a dark, destructive, devouring predatory nature to Satan. And when it serves his purposes, he can appear as an angel of light, doing good, offering peace and prosperity. And Satan initially gets the renown he wants. Look at chapter 13, verse 4. And they worshipped the dragon. This is what Satan has always wanted. Matter of fact, this is what he offers to Jesus in the wilderness. Do you remember this? All these kingdoms I will give to you if you bow down and you worship me. And now he gets from the world what he could not get from Christ. And they worship the dragon and the earth dwellers ask two questions, which is a form of praise. Who is like the beast? 
in direct opposition to Exodus 15:11, where it clearly states that worship is due to God alone. And then they say, they go from being enamored and impressed to being intimidated and fearful. And who can fight against it? But that answer is going to come. That answer is going to come in chapter 17 and chapter 19, where there is one riding on a white horse, and his name is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. That's who can fight against the beast. Now, one application from this that I think we need to hear is the danger of placing any confidence in even good human government to usher in the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ inaugurated the kingdom. Jesus alone will usher in the kingdom. We are poised, I think, as a nation in particular, because of the peace and the prosperity we have enjoyed for so long, and because that is such a high value in our nation and something we can thank God for, to be deceived by a ruler who can offer continued peace and prosperity. Especially if he does great signs and wonders. We must be careful not to be duped by a cheap imitation, even if it promises morality, personal safety, and a bright future for our children. Again, we think it's going to be ugly and hideous and recognizable. It is going to be appealing and attractive, and people all around you are going to be, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And they worshipped the dragon. Revelation 18 will tell us that his kingdom will end. The dragons and the beasts. Daniel also saw that. Let me read to you out of Daniel chapter 7, verses 26 to 27. But the court shall sit in judgment. See, Satan's not the court. He's the accuser of the brethren. He has a forensic sort of position, but he is not the court. Daniel says, but the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. Christ. Look at the next section. We saw the beast as an imitation Christ. Now we look at the beast as a murderous blasphemer. Look at verse 5. And I, as I'm going to read this section again, even though it was already read, and I want you to just highlight where Satan is restricted by the sovereignty of God. Where Satan is on a, a divine leash, if you would. Okay, just look at verse 5. And the beast, notice the passive, was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. You see God's sovereignty in that passage? 
in the midst of this powerful, hideous beast, God is clearly communicating to you and to me who's in charge. The beast has no authority without God's permission. In the end, only God can authorize the devil or the beast to rule the nations. He was given a mouth, given authority, allowed to exercise authority, and allowed to make war on the saints, and allowed to conquer them. And somehow, even though we can't explain it, all that fits into God's plan. Haughty and blasphemous words, verse 5. The beast will claim to be and do only what God is and has done and is doing. Look at verse 7. The beast's haughty and blasphemous words become the violent actions of war. It was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, but notice this, but only for 42 months. So the beast's opportunity to do evil is limited. It's really exactly what you see on a personal, individual level with Job, where he's given permission to strike a certain aspect of Job's life. Satan comes back. He's given permission again to, to, to attack, permission to attack the individual slice of Job's life, now his health. You have this being done here, but only for 42 months because he is hemmed in by God. He's hemmed in by time. Remember, Satan's a created being. There's not this equal dualism between God and Satan. He is a created being, created within time. He's not eternal. And his day of reckoning will come. Let me, let me just fast forward you to two places. Because the universal reign of the beast needs to be tempered by the millennial reign of Christ. I'm just going to read to you in Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel come, coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Another angel is able to bind Satan. Remember, there's no true contest between God and Satan. And threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. You have this, this universal reign of the beast. You have this millennial, this beautiful millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And the saints of God during this reign will be conquered on the earth, but their names are in, did you notice that? The book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And just to pause there, and we're going we're gonna to look at one more text after this. Is your name in that book? Really, only you can answer that question. Can you know? Can you know if you are a saint, a holy one, a child of God, a born-again believer? The answer is yes. To be a Christian means, to be a saint, a holy one means that you have been reconciled to the one true God. And throughout all the false lies of society, throughout the, the promises that everybody's going to go to heaven in the end, don't worry about it, live the life that you want to live now. Or as long as you're religious and, you're, and you're, you know, you're, your motives are pure, your intentions are good, you're going to make it if you're part of a religion. Those are satanic lies. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, the life. So to be reconciled to God happens through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you believe in that, 
The Bible says if you confess Him as Lord, not just a good religious teacher, Jesus did not come to bring a new religion. He came to bring life. He came to bring reconciliation. He came to bring forgiveness. Even Christianity as a religion has failed the world many times. We're not just talking about another religion. We're talking about the Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Is your name in His book? Have you confessed Him as Lord? Have you in faith believed that through His death and His resurrection, you can have life? Because here's the reality. Christ offers life the beast can only offer death. But here's the beautiful kind of irony of that. The beast brings death, but that really for us is a transition into true life. So what threat is that? The verse I wanted to read to you is fast forward to a verse in chapter 19. In verse 20, Scripture says this, And the beast was captured... And with it, the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two, the beast and the prophet, were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. A literal place called hell. What is our response to this? Look at verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. And now we are confronted with these sort of brutal, harsh facts so that we can prepare ourselves to respond. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Bottom line, no one can avoid what God has planned for his children. Some believers will have the opportunity, if we were to put this in our own words, some, some believers during this time period will have the opportunity to show that Jesus Christ means more to them than freedom. They will be taken captive. Others will have the opportunity to show that they love Jesus Christ more than life on this earth. They will be executed. He will be slain with a sword, as this verse says. Here is a call. And we're going to end here this morning. Because this is it. This is the call of Revelation 13, the first half. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. So are you worshiping Jesus for who He really is? Or have you embraced and accepted a false interpretation, a post-post-modern humanistic interpretation of who Jesus is? Have you accepted simply the core, the, the, the husk of religion, but have never really entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ as the Messiah and as your Savior and Lord? It's a big difference. Is it possible that your heart has been deceived and you only possess cultural Christianity and when a convincing imitation comes along, you will follow it? And only you know that question. Satan's strategy is quite simple, but it's effective. He acts like he's God, 
And he tries to kill anybody who isn't fooled by his deception. Have you believed in Jesus or accepted a lie? The hymn we sang this morning says this. Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretches from shore to shore till sun shall rise and set no more. Blessings abound wherever he reigns. The prisoner leaps to loose his chains. The weary find eternal rest, and all the sons of want are blessed. Let every creature rise and bring blessing and honor to our King. Angels descend with songs again, and earth repeats them loud. Amen. The chorus says this. To our King be highest praise, rising through eternal days. Just and faithful He shall reign. Jesus shall reign. Heads bowed and eyes closed. There's a day coming when every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. For some it will be too late. They worshiped the beast, they followed the beast, they rejected the Son of God. And they will be in eternity separated from the goodness and the love and the kindness of God. Are you born again? And do you believe these things to the point that it is lived out in your life by sharing the good news with other people?